Welcome to Is It Halloween Yet? Episode 29, a spooky little podcast where we talk about all things horror and ask, is it Halloween yet? I'm afraid not, ghouls, ghosts, and goblins. It's 145 days until Halloween. I'm your ghost is Spencer. Let's see what we have on the slab this week. We've got more video game news than I know what to do with, and the first day of Netflix Geet Week started off with a spooky bang. Then we'll have this week's feature film, a film that I have been very hyped about on the podcast for months and will be disappointed for a lifetime over. Our feature film this week is new release Dashcam. Let's get into the news. St. Kotar is headed to consoles this fall. Red Marty Entertainment's psychological horror game, St. Kotar, is set in a cursed valley in rural Croatia. Investigate the disappearance of your relatives in the occult-ridden town of Slevik Kotar as you switch between conflicting realities through the eyes of two godly men. I got that synopsis from the game's Steam page. And it's coming to all current and last-gen consoles on October 14th. But if you can't wait that long, it's out on Steam right now. It sounds really interesting. The trailer looks really cool. I think I'll probably check it out and try to slot it into the late summer, early spooky season games for stream. Scar Ritual gets a 30-minute demo. Wales Interactive let us know that the game was going to be part of Stream Next Fest, not to be confused with the coinciding Summer Games Fest. Lots of video game stuff going on in the summer and the lack of E3 just makes it super confusing. The game synopsis via Steam page is as follows. The co-op survival first person the co-op survival first person and spiritual successor to the award-winning British horror Made of Skur, play solo or up to 4 players survive the supernatural onslaught of the quiet ones the demo looks cool i never played the first game but maybe i'll play this i probably won't but it's probably somebody's jam so i hope you get out there and play that 30 minute demo at least get a free demo space beast terrafright is out on steam in early access it'll cost you 14.99 to play the very hard arcade style road-like permadeath first-person shooter according to the game's steam page you play as a marine who must brave the dark claustrophobic and terrifying intense space beast infested spacecraft in order to extract critical data and lucrative upgrades can you make it out alive I definitely cannot make it out alive. Maybe you can, but I cannot. So you should check that out right now on Steam. And the little bit of news that was so great to my Resident Evil loving heart. Resident Evil 4 Remake is headed our way in March. Announced at the Sony State of Play event last Thursday, the game is headed to PS5, Xbox Series, and PC on March 24th. 2023. According to the PlayStation blog, the game is getting a modern glow-up of sorts. This is being done by reimagining the storyline of the game while keeping the essence of its direction and modernizing the graphics and updating the control scheme to a modern standard. And can I get a hell yeah for that? Because I recently tried to play Resident Evil 4 and the controls are terrible. <laughs> I don't know why I thought GameCube controls were going to be great but they're bad so it, it'll be cool to see it glowed up to its current generation 
glory. We also found out that Dutch model Ella Freya is the body model for the remake's version of Ashley. Horror Shooter Ripout has a demo. Also a part of Steam Next Fest, according to the Steam page, Ripout is an online co-op horror shooter that will have players fighting their way through a procedurally generated derelict ships filled with mutants capable of reconfiguring their alien bodies. Survive with your trusty pet gun and collect loot and customize your character to fit your playstyle. Ripout looks cool. I really like the pet gun. I also like the customizable, like, you take parts of aliens and turn them into weapons for you. I think that's pretty fun. I will get clowned out in a second because I'm just bad at first person shooters, but I am excited to look at the demo at least and see what that game is all about. Carry on suitcase is headed our way in October, headed to PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series, Nintendo Switch, and PC via Epic and Steam. Developed by Indigo Studios Interactive Stories, the game, according to the game's Steam page, it is a first-person horror mystery game where you set out to bury the horrible past of a tyrannical government, retrieve and destroy the documents that unravel the secrets that lie beneath Oak Grove. Will you discover the terrifying truth and find your way out? Looks interesting. I'll have to see more. Hopefully we will see more as it gets closer to launch. So we'll see. October is a really busy month. And the other news this week that was super excited for me, Dead Space fans get excited. The Callisto Protocol finally got a release date. Striking Distance Studio showed off a new trailer in the Sony State of Play. We know that the Dead Space-inspired game will be hitting PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series, and PC via Steam on December 2nd. Happy birthday month to me. I'm very excited. I can't wait to play this. The new trailer looks even more terrifying, and we'll get to play that and then go straight into the Dead Space remake. So I can't complain. If if you like space horror, you're definitely getting fed this year. The Sims got a new DLC. Now you can transform into a werewolf. It'll be available next week on the 16th for both PC and console. And it isn't just transformations. You don't just get to like turn into a fuzzy little wolf dude. Uh, you get new temperaments, uh, new abilities, and wolf-specific life events. So that's cool. It seems like they did a really well-rounded job of it. I haven't played The Sims in forever, honestly, and I just, yeah, I just can't imagine werewolves being what gets me back into it, but they looked really cool, and it seems like they did a really good job on making it not just a weird cosmetic thing that you're paying for. Ratman the Game makes its way to Itch.io. Axior, the developer of the game, has said that this is a VHS found footage horror first-person shooter, specifically inspired by Chloe Acuna's Storm Drain segment in the very popular VHS 94 movie and the Fear Game series. Uh, the game looks cool. You should definitely go over and check it out. You can get it now on Itch.io. And in our last little bit of video game news, Mere Forage is going to be published by Dread XP. Mystic Devs 
survival horror game Mere Forage is a first-person psychological survivor horror game featuring alternate dimensions wreathed in darkness and beings ripped from nightmares. Tackle deadly puzzles, survive threats both seen and unseen, piece together clues from an alien world, and above all else, avoid the grasp of other madness when reality warps around you. Mere Forge is headed to Steam where I got all that information about the game in September of 2022. Congratulations to Dread XP. They're doing a bang up job over there of picking really interesting horror films to back and put out and help publish. And this one looks like another one that it is very interesting and I'm interested to play. Let's see what's going on this week in the world of TV news. Surprising to no one, Netflix's smash hit Stranger Things 4 broke the opening weekend record for viewers on Netflix. It beat out the se second season of Bridgerton, which happened earlier this year. I think Stranger Things 4 is awesome, and it is the first time I've really been engaged actively in thinking about the series since the first one. I kind of, I watched both two and three, but they both were decidedly not what I wanted from Stranger Things. And now that the kids are a little bit older, I think it's back to being scary. It's back to being fun. And I can't wait to see how they finish out this season and run. We're at a like, we've only got a couple episodes left in total, probably before the whole thing's over. So it'll be interesting to see how it all wraps up together. Paramount Plus let us know that they have some fatal attraction news. They're casting for their Fatal Attraction show for the streaming platform. Lizzie Kaplan is set to star opposite Joshua Jackson. Amanda Peet was just announced as Beth Gallagher, the faithful wife of Joshua Jackson's character. According to Bloody Disgusting, the show will explore the timeless themes of marriage and infidelity through the lens of modern attitudes towards strong women, personality disorders, and coercive control. Uh, I'm very excited to see what Fatal Attraction looks like in 2022. That feels like a very interesting concept or idea to me. So I'm excited to see what that looks like. We also got a lot of Twisted Metal news. Uh, we found out a bunch about Sweet Tooth, who will be voicing him and who will physically be playing him. For voiceover work, we found out that Will Arnett will be voicing Sweet Tooth. And according to Variety, we got a little summary of his character. The character in the show is described as hilarious and a terrifying hulk of a man who is emotional as he is cunning. A lover of chaos, this majestic, rage-filled killer dons an ever-smiling clown mask and uses Lost Vegas as his own personal kill ground, all while driving around his infamous Doomsday ice cream truck. And Wolf Arnett feels like a perfect match for the voice of Sweet Tooth, and we found out that the muscle and the hunk of a man behind him will be AWE stars Samoa Joe. He's going to be the physical actor for the role, so that's exciting. The second season of Toho's Godzilla's animated series is headed to YouTube. The never-before-seen season is being released for home viewing. The Hanna-Barbera show ran from 1978 to 1981. It started a couple days ago on the 6th of July. So if you 
want to see it, I suggest you head on over to Toa's YouTube right now and check it out. This next one's a really short one, but sad. The HBO Max show produced by Ridley Scott, Raised by Wolves, has been canceled after two seasons. Not a whole lot of information other than they're just not coming back. So now we got to get into the Netflix Geek Week news. Uh, Monday was series day, I think. So they dealt with all of the series that are coming and they started off strong. They started their presentation with a sneak peek at the Tim Burton directed Adam's Family spinoff Wednesday starring our favorite screen queen, Jenny Ortega. We got a look at her as she was braiding her hair. It was pretty much a Wednesday themed teaser. There was nothing of the show, just her braiding her hair and then coming out in her perfect dress with her perfectly pointy collar. Everything about the look was great. I think Jenny Ortega is the perfect person to be playing Wednesday Adams. Netflix gave us a teaser trailer for Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. We talked about this a few months back when it was first being reported on. And back then I was a little bit skeptical because I don't know, anthology horror. I feel like they were pitching it like it had a theme and I'm always a little bit wary of that. I love anthologies, but I do feel like a lot of times there's a couple segments of them that never really work because they try too hard to bend themselves to the theme. But since this is a very broad theme of just like what scares Guillermo del Toro, I feel like we're in for a pretty good ride. Uh, we got a... We know that there's going to be eight stories and they are directed by some of the most brilliant minds in horror right now. Here's just a little taste of who it is. Jennifer Kent is going to be there. She is best well known for the Babadook. She is doing a original Guillermo del Toro story. So that's interesting. David Pryor, who is known for The Empty Man. Keith Thomas, who is known for The Vigil and probably wants to be forgotten for Firestarter, but he also did fire the latest Firestarter. And then the one I am absolutely looking forward to, Panos Kosmatos, who did Mandy. So I think that if it has a broad theme, like just a cabinet of like scary, spooky curiosities, I think... Panos Kosmatos and Jennifer Kent can live in those worlds, can live in that series. I was always a little bit worried by how varied the styles of horror were in the directors that we were seeing. But the show does a really good job of selling me on it. It has a very cohesive theme in the trailer. So we will see, I guess. Is it even October if Mike Flanagan doesn't have a Netflix project? I'm starting to think it might not be, but lucky for us, it's going to be October this year because we got a look at The Midnight Club, which is based off the 1994 book by Christopher Pike. The trailer gave us a look at the eight members of The Midnight Club. I am so excited for this. Uh, this was a very, very early horror favorite of mine. It was one of the books I read as a like preteen going into being a teenager, and I just absolutely love all things Christopher Pike and Flanagan has another Christopher Pike project with Netflix coming out. And I'm just excited for people to experience the Midnight Club with the thoughtful care that Mike Flanagan gives all of his projects. So we're going to see that coming our way in October. Those super cute human animal hybrids from Sweet Tooth are headed back for the second season. The show let us know that we're definitely getting a second season. And if you follow the first one, you're probably relieved because it left quite a few characters 
in a pickle at the end of it. I don't want to give too much away, but if you haven't watched the first season of Sweet Tooth, please do. Another series pickup that we heard about is the Korean zombie series, All of Us Are Dead, is headed for a season two. I would like to take a second to say I think this Korean drama is highly underrated. I think that people are off put by the format of the Korean drama. The episodes are longer. They are a little bit more plotting in showing us characters, but it gives the show a lot of stakes because you have no idea who's your favorite. Are they going to die? Are like, what's going to be the outcome, right? I think the action is really exciting and gory and I think it is super ruthless in how it culls the cast down so you'll be there rooting for your favorite one minute and then sad the next when they die and I feel like if you like those kind of shows you really need to check out All of Us Are Dead which you can right now on Netflix it's super good I highly recommend it it's a combination of two things that I love Korean dramas and horror movies so it's it's like a match made in heaven for me. So I'm glad we're getting a second season because that is not always a thing in Korean drama. More Resident Evil news. We got another trailer and each trailer gets me more hyped for this show. And I am very, very wary of the idea that it's going to be very, very bad. But little spoilers, just skip ahead 30 seconds if you don't want to hear it. I have to know how Wesker's still alive. I just have to. I have to know how how that is because they keep telling me these games and this series are a congruent unit. They go together. So I just have to know. We also got The Imperfects from Netflix. It follows around a bunch of teens as they hunt for the man who made them a monster while also dealing with all of the things teens have to deal with. Crushes, relationships, college applications, high school, like all of that stuff. It looks like a fun coming of age story with monsters. I'll let you know more as we get closer to the release date. We also got a update on the project that the team from the Netflix acclaim series Dark is doing. They are doing a show called 1899 and it's being billed as a visual stunning odyssey where nothing is as it seems. And it takes place aboard the Kiribati in 1899. There's a really cool behind the scenes documentary featurette, I guess, that they did for Geeked Week that shows um, them shooting on. They're using the like the circle TV, the screen set. Right. And just how much life that that gives like it illuminates everything because it's a television and like it illuminates things correctly with their color as it would be like it's just a really interesting featurette if you like how movies are made. I think that technology is so interesting and I think it's so hard for us to tell when it happens that I love watching how they do it, how they make that work. And our last little bit of news from the first day of Geek Week, we finally, after such a long wait, got a release date for Sandman, and we don't have to wait that long. The new trailer shows us what happens when Dream is finally set free, and then it gave us the release date of August 5th. I'm very excited. I can't wait. I think I am of a certain age that Sandman was just a really big deal. And I can't wait to see this show. I can't wait for people to either experience Sandman for the first time or 
relive the story that we all love in a new format. We've just got two pieces of TV news left and they're both pretty quick. We'll start with what we do in the shadows being picked up for seasons five and six. Season four hasn't even aired yet. It'll start on July 4th on FX at 10 p.m. and then you can watch it the next day on Hulu. And then we found out that five and six are coming. So that's exciting. I think that show is pretty funny. I need to catch up so that I can watch uh, season four as it comes out, but it's always a good time. I, I really enjoy that series more than I thought I would. And our last story is super quick. Tales of the Walking Dead has finally got a premiere date and it's headed our way August 14th. So that's really all there is to say about it. I don't watch The Walking Dead anymore, but it's interesting that they're gonna keep spinning it off. And let's get into movie news. We've got a bunch of it, so let's get through it. We just have a lot of news this week. I feel like last week was like a little bit of a respite and now it's like news, 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 news. Ethan Hawke is out talking about the black phone ahead of its theatrical release on June 24th. Hawke compares the film to Sinister, which terrifies me. In a quote, he says, it's a sibling movie to Sinister that's going to deeper and stranger places. Being scared out of your mind is what the film is all about. Uh, please sign me up for that. I think people are sleeping on this film. I don't see a lot of people excited or talking about it. I think we may have ended up in the perfect timeline for this specific thing because like we wouldn't be getting the black phone if Derrickson had stuck around and finished Multiverse of Madness. If he had done that, he would be doing that. But we got a Sam Raimi film that people seem to enjoy. And we're getting this scary as hell Scott Derrickson film based off of a Joe Hill short story. So I'm ready. Uh, strap your Apple watches to your wrist and calculate your heartbeat while you watch it. Because isn't that the thing with Sinister? Everybody's like that movie is the scariest movie of all time because it keeps your heart rate elevated and gives you the most like up and down like elevations of like jump scares and stuff. I guess science, whatever. Um, I'm just excited. This film film looks great. Ethan Hawke looks terrifying. And again, Tom Savini knocked it out of the park with all of the masks that we've seen in the trailer. So very excited to see that one. Next up, we got a teaser trailer for the Anya Taylor-Joy-led The Menu. The film features Nicholas Hout and Ralph Fiennes and will be released on November 18th. I covered this a couple weeks ago when it was announced, when the cast was announced. I was thinking it was like a straight horror movie and it looks like it may be more darkly comedic than I was previously led to believe based on what we got from the synopsis and the buzz around it but it looks pretty pretty funny for a horror movie and I can't wait I'll watch Anya Taylor-Joy in anything slightly scary so sign me up this next story is a really interesting one. Did next year's Exorcist already finish filming? David Gordon Green's next project after the conclusion of his Halloween trilogy this fall is the Exorcist relaunch. We know he's been working on it and that the script he got done during lockdown and the pandemic. The film stars Leslie Odom Jr. And Ellen Burstyn is coming back. And so there's this like weird story that popped up this week, thanks to Jandry Says on Twitter, who shouted this out to a bloody disgusting reporter. I think it was Brad Misha and was like, hey, uh, 
Ellen Burstyn said she filmed all of her stuff on this podcast, and she did on the Daily Blast Live podcast back in February. Burstyn made the comment, I've already shot the new version and nothing weird happened on set. There was a lot of weirdness on the first one. So that raises all kinds of questions. Is Ellen Burstyn's footage shot and in the can is the whole movie shot and in the can did david gordon green go behind our backs shoot this film in secret i don't know but i do know that the film is headed our way to theaters on october 13th 2023 very exciting i can't wait to see it i really think i really think green has a knack for taking someone's story and then making it his own jenny otega is dead set on keeping that scream queen crown her new film, American Carnage, had a trailer drop this week. Sabin Films dropped the official trailer for it. And according to Bloody Disgusting, the film has been rated R for some disturbing violence and gore. There's also a great synopsis from Bloody Disgusting, which is as follows. After a governor issues an executive order to arrest children of undocumented immigrants, the newly detained youth are offered an opportunity to have their charges dropped by volunteering to provide care for the elderly. Once inside the elder care facility, the volunteers discover the governor and the facility's supervisors have cooked up something horrifyingly depraved that endangers the young and the old in this twisted comedy thriller. It looks pretty funny. I'm excited. You should go check out the trailer if that seems like something you would be into. This next film was all over my timeline. A lot of queer folks I follow on Twitter were very excited about this film and were very excited to talk about how queer this film is. And that is Swallowed. The teaser trailer was released after it premiered at the Overlook Film Festival in New Orleans over the weekend. And... Like I said, I've heard this film is very queer and I'm excited. I think it sounds scary as hell and the trailer is unnerving. So according to the Overlook Film Festival site, from Carter Smith, the director of The Ruins, comes a pulse-pounding tale of two best friends on what might be their final night together. A drug deal gone wrong finds them at the center of a chilling queer body horror full of shocking violations. I don't know. I'm very excited. It looks great. Um, I hope we get to see it sooner rather than later. As soon as I know release dates, you'll know. We got a little bit of a scream box rock block happening here. So our first story is Screambox is welcoming original movie. Our first one is Screambox original Welcome to Hell gets a release date. July 12th, it's coming to the bloody disgusting owned streaming service. And the synopsis is as follows. Desperate to escape the dangerous and deadly leader of a satanic death metal band, mother-to-be Luca moves into a remote cabin in the forest with her grandmother. Although safe in her surroundings, she is haunted by his memory and knows he will stop at nothing to track her down. Looks terrifying. Uh, I can't wait to see it. You will catch me watching it. Maybe I'll do it as a review next month because it looks legitimately scary for me. We got a trailer for Story Game, which is also headed to Screenbox. That will be on June 21st. And the subnoxious from Bloody Disgusting is as follows. On a camping trip in Hawaii, three fine art students make a bet. Who can tell the best supernatural story? According to the rules, each tale must have three items. A metaphysical piece 
a character with green eyes, and a Japanese location. The three young campers try to outwit each other as they bring three famous Japanese ghost stories to the world, and things take an eerie turn as each tale takes them deeper into the story game, which is an app. Um, I think it's pretty cool. You should check out the trailer. I love Japanese horror, and I love Japanese folklore, especially ghost stories, so you will catch me watching this one because it's right in the wheelhouse of things that I like. Another really exciting release from Screenbox is coming to the streamer on July 26th, and that is Pennywise, The Story of It. This is after it has a very limited theatrical run on the 8th. It's got loads of never-before-seen footage from the original TV movie starring Tim Curry as the murderous entity Pennywise. I love Tim Curry. I love Pennywise. It was terrifying for me as a child and I think everyone who was of that age. So I'm excited to see this documentary and really dig into Pennywise as a character and what makes him scary and especially the portrayal of him by Tim Curry. So I'm excited. And our last little bit of screen box news is that the movie Pussycake gets a trailer. The Argentinian film follows an all-girl rock band as they try to rekindle their popularity in this all-out gore fest. It's headed to Screenbox on August 30th, and it is really giving me girl band but Evil Dead vibes. I really like the horror and the gore we're seeing in the trailer, and I really think it's a cool story of, like, girls trying to one last chance their, like, way into a band. Like, I think we see that story a lot with dudes, but I am ready to see that story from a female perspective, and it looks gory and fun and a little bit slapsticky. And we'll have to see August 30th, but it's definitely on my list to watch. This next one is not on my list to watch unless, unless y'all want me to, then I will watch it. Amityville in space. Yes, this is happening. In the glut of films that have taken on the Amityville fame, the fame's haunted city is finally going to space. This film looks bad, not unwatchable bad, but like bad, like bad in the way that the only community I could think that could love and appreciate a film like this is the horror community. It looks bad in the way of like when I was in my late teens and early 20s, I would be like, hey, dude, you have to see this movie. It's so bad. And we'd spend an afternoon on a Saturday watching this terribly bad movie. So I don't know. It's out on July 19th and we'll have to see <laughs> Amityville in space. Everybody's gone to space now, right? Or wanted to. Carpenter wanted to take Michael Myers to space. They didn't take Freddy to space. Jason went to space. Chucky wanted to go to space and didn't go to space. Are you a big horror IP if you haven't gone to space? Give me Malignant in space. Give me The Conjuring in space. Let's do this. I guess Amityville is kind of like The Conjuring in space, so I guess I'm getting my wish. <laughs> Family Dinner heads to the Tribeca Film Festival and we get a teaser. The film is set to make its world premiere on June 10th at the famous New York City Film Festival. According to the festival website, the film is about a plus-size 15-year-old girl named Simi who heads to her Aunt Claudia's house for Easter weekend. Claudia is a popular nutritionist who has written the best-selling health book, who has written best-selling health books. So for Simi, spending a few days could help her change her diet and inspire weight loss. What should have been a nice holiday weekend with family, however, turns quickly 
into anything, but Simmy's cousin Flip is curiously hostile towards her, while Flip's stepdad, Stefan, is curiously the opposite towards Simmy. All while Claudia's dietary restrictions verge on becoming overly militant. What's causing everyone to act so strangely and aggressively? The answers are even worse than Simmy's worst nightmare. The trailer does a really good job of showing a family devolving into chaos. I'm a little bit weary because we do have a plus size protagonist and it is a story that revolves around weight loss. So I do not want this film to be super fat phobic in any way. And I hope that it isn't, but the trailer isn't giving me that vibe. So we'll have to see, but it looks pretty interesting. If you're in New York City, you can go check it out at Tribeca this weekend. So Paramount Players' new film, Smile, launches a creepy ad campaign. The film has a short teaser trailer that asks, what makes you smile? While several actors show unsettling grins. It's been playing in front of Top Gun Maverick and Crimes of the Future, and that's all we really know about the film. They did release a even smaller version of the teaser to Twitter, and it's unnerving to say the least. And we know that the film is scheduled for release on September 30th, but beyond that, we don't really know much about it. I'm hoping we get a ad either this week or next week. I don't think you can just do that weird creepy ad and get people to still be interested in your film, but it was a very unsettling, smart way to market this film. 1091 Pictures picks up Festival Darling. 1091 Pictures picks up the festival darling, When I Consume You. The film has had critical acclaim from Fantasia Film Fest all the way to the Brooklyn Horror Fest, and it has finally been picked up for distribution by 1091 Films. According to Bloody Disgusting, the synopsis is as follows. This gritty urban folktale follows a woman and her brother as they hunt down a mysterious stalker hellbent on their destruction, testing the limits of love and loyalty in the face of ultimate evil. The film is headed for a digital release on August 16th, so we don't have that much longer to wait. I've heard nothing but good things about this film, and I would be very excited to see it when it comes out. I think I've said that about every film. No, I'm not excited about Amityville in space, but um, I am excited to see this. And this next one, I swear, Marcus Dunson, if you're getting my hopes up for nothing, mm, does The Collective third movie, Have Hope. Marcus Dunson recently told Screen Ranks, you know, I wouldn't waste anyone's hope, especially my own, but we've got hope and that's what's great here. There's folks working on getting that back and it's just taken a long time. It's been slow and I think there's a lot of things to untangle, but we're going to use our time to hope that it all works out because we've got a chance. The coolest thing is you don't know all of the time if when you get out, this lofty goal will work. So it's like there's no reason to do another one unless it can be the best one. And then we get this tease back after going like, holy cow, we never stop talking about or stop thinking about in this universe. And I was like, OK, there's something here that I would be willing to fall on a sword for every day. And I love that. And it felt right. So that's also keeping my hopes way high. I'm dreaming for it. I want to do it. And I think that would be great. And I think that this is a super important story because it is a very... 180 position from what Dunstan was having just a couple mo months ago. Was it a year ago? Sometime in the last like nine to 12 months, he had basically said that this movie wasn't happening because producers weren't interested. 
And I have to look at the like landscape of films that have come out between when he said that and now. And the only one I can think of is Spiral from the Book of Saw. Do we have that film as flawed as it is to thank for rekindling producers' interest in this film? I kind of think we did. I think people thought torture porn may be out and people don't want to see it. And I think spiral from the book of saw doing as well as it did in the weird climate of the pandemic part that it came out in helped producers maybe see that people want the collected and then it's a series i think one of the better torture porn series to come out of that era and i think that that genre is ripe for modernization it was birthed out of the american fear of the other and all of the absolute just fucked up shit happening in our country after 9-11 and it was a like outpouring of like collective trauma and I don't like we're just we're currently living through machine gun fire of collected trauma for lots of folks right I feel like torture porn is ripe and ready to explore those collective traumas in the same way that Saw did with the first one and the collector to an extent even did with that first set of fears. This is our final movie story and the one I'm sure everybody wants to talk about. It's the Scream 6 news and let's get into the good news first. Dermot McGaroney joined the cast of Scream 6 this last week. It's rumored he's playing a cop so we'll see how that goes for him. Cops don't usually do great when they go toe-to-toe with Ghostface. I mean I would say Dewey did good but then he didn't so We'll see how that goes for him. And then the Scream 6 news everyone wants to talk about is that Nev Campbell will not be returning for part six. So this story is really interesting to me. It started off as a video from a YouTuber named Master Chaos TV and a treat thread where he said he just casually asked Nev Campbell during one of her signing appearances at Monster Palooza last weekend Like, hey, I can't wait to see you in the sixth one. And she just blurted out, I passed on it. And then he was like, you're not going to be in it. And she's like, no, she shakes her head. So he put that on the internet. Everyone set their hair on fire. People were calling him a liar. People were, it was just like a weird situation of like, what's going on? And I think people just didn't want to believe it and I think that's why they lashed out so hard at the dude who was who actually legitimately broke a scoop so like congratulations to Master Chaos TV for that he actually broke that scoop and when that like story first broke I was basically of the mind like fine it's fine we don't need Sydney in Scream 6 like Sydney Prescott has earned the right to have a happy life. Like the more we bring her into the Scream series going forward, the more tempting it's going to be for writers to want to kill her off. And I don't, I want Sydney Prescott to live. I would like a final girl to have a nice and happy life. And it looks like she has done that for herself. Like she has had that progression of being scared and living in the woods and cutting herself off from humanity and humans and being so scared that she could only live that way to becoming this full person who has a husband and kids and is running in the park like I just want that Sydney to be happy and I think 
the character and Nev Campbell have earned that. However, the story did progress. And Monday morning, we got confirmation via Variety that Campbell would not be coming back to play Sidney Prescott. And I'm super sad about it for a completely different reason. So according to Variety, the statement was, sadly, I won't be making the next Scream film. As a woman, I have to work extremely hard in my career to establish my value, especially when it comes to Scream. I thought the offer that was presented to me did not equal the value I have brought to the franchise. It's been a difficult decision to move on. To all of my Scream fans, I love you. You've always been incredibly supportive to me, and I'm forever grateful for you and what this franchise has given me over the past 25 years. So, like I said, I explained my reasoning. Sydney not being in the film because Nev Campbell doesn't want to do it or the writers don't want to have her in there is one thing, and I am fine with that. Like I said, she's earned a peaceful life to not be stalked by Ghostface. However, that said, contract negotiations is the reason why she's not in this. Really ticks me off. And so David Arquette is out working the circuit, promoting his new video game that launches on Friday, The Quarry, which we will be playing live on Twitch. And he gave this statement to comicbook.com. And it was, I'd love for her to be a part of it. Screen, a screen movie without Sydney is kind of unfortunate, but I understand her decision. It's business in a way. They have to balance all these elements to fit a budget and produce the film. I get it. She's still alive. She can absolutely be in future ones, but I think it's up to the fans for that in the future. That's sudden. It's business though. And I respect her decision for sure. And I respect Arquette's like ability to bullshit <laughs> a little bit here. Like, cause that's what it is. Like he definitely wants to walk that line as an actor who doesn't want to burn his bridge with Paramount production or whatever. But I think that a franchise that doesn't respect the talent and genuine goodwill an actor gives a franchise for 25 years when they're like, hey, I want a little more money because I've been doing this for 25 years and you've been banking off of my success for 25 years is kind of fucked up. Like, I respect the hell out of the radio silence, guys, but it is super disappointing to hear for me that a production they're ahead of had an issue retaining an actress, not just like a side actress or one of the new kids, but like the face of the franchise actress they couldn't retain her over money. And like, I am willing to bet it could be all above their heads at Paramount. It is not them. They want to give her whatever she wants. I 100% think that could be the case. However, the Radio Silence guys are in a very powerful position right now. They made $81 million in a pandemic domestically. They made $140 million worldwide on this film. In a pandemic, the next closest horror film of this year is X at 11 million domestic. They're going to be one of the top two horror movies of the year. I argue I think Halloween Ends is probably going to get more movie, but if it is bad and doesn't have the legs like Scream did, Scream had legs too. It was in the theaters for quite a bit. If it doesn't have the legs that Scream had, it's possible Scream 5 could be the highest grossing horror movie of the year. And if you aren't willing to use that leverage of, hey, you guys, we just made you $140 million. If Nev Campbell wants $5 million, like give Nev Campbell $5 million. Let's get this done. Like she absolutely deserves 
more money for bringing the franchise as far as she has, right? Dudes have to be willing. Directors, male directors, male co-stars, male producers that are not at the studios have to be willing to do that. You guys have to be willing to put your name and integrity and maybe your project on the line to make sure women get paid fairly or it's not going to happen. It's not something we can do by ourselves because it's clear that when we do do these things and stand up and say, hey, no, I don't want that. You need to pay me more. I think I'm worth more than that. They just walk away. That's the answer the studio gives. So I get that it is a delicate thing that they have to balance and they have to do all these things, but you've got like, we need you to really step up at these. And I just hate that guys that I respect so much like Radio Silence now fall into a category where they couldn't retain female talent. And that just sucks. As someone who's like passionate about women in film and women in filmmaking. It just sucks. That's going to do it for movie news. Let's head into home release. This first one is super exciting. <laughs> this first one's exciting. Everything, everywhere, all at once. The A24 movie starring Michelle Yao, my favorite actress. You can give me Michelle Yao in Star Trek Discovery. You can give me Michelle Yao in Memoirs of a Geisha or Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon or Crazy Rich Asians, you've got Michelle Yao in it, I'm gonna be there. So this is really her first time leading a movie and I'm so excited to sit down and watch it. I've heard nothing but great things about it from people who have very similar tastes to film as me. It is out now on digital and it will be headed to 4K Ultra HD on July 5th. The DVD on July 5th will have audio commentary a almost everything you want to ever know about everything, everywhere, all at once featurette, putting everything on the Babel, put cooking up the multiverse featurette, and deleted scenes with optional commentary, outtakes, music visuals, and a theatrical trailer. That sounds like a delightful little package from A24, who's usually pretty sparse with their special features, unfortunately. The next one we talked about when Visual Vengeance label launched a few months ago, and it is Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell. It's headed to DVD and Blu-ray on July 5th. And the 1990 film, the 1990 film, the 1995 film is often referred to as the Japanese Evil Dead. The features that come with the Blu-ray are Audio commentary by the filmmakers, audio commentary by Japanese film historian, the interview with the director, liner notes, a mini poster, VHS sticker set, and the v video store rental card. Interesting little extras that Visual Vengeance is giving with both this and their next release, which we're going to talk about, which is the infamous 1997 zombie film Necrophiles. It's headed out on July 19th from Visual Vengeance, and the special features include audio commentary by the director, an interview with the director, Necrophiles 3000, the 2017 sequel by the same director, Dong of the Dead, making of the Necrophiles, a mini poster, a VHS sticker, and of course, if you know why, you know why, <laughs> a condom. If you don't, please go watch Necrophiles. <laughs> I can't believe they actually did that, but congratulations to that completely batshit movie on this release. Our last film we're going to talk about this week 
for home release is Mid-Century. The film is coming to Blu-ray and DVD on July 26th, following its theatrical and digital release on June 17th. The film, according to Broken Horror Fan, is about a couple looking for a change one weekend. ER doctor Alice and her husband Tom rent a glamorous mid-century modern home designed by architect Frederick Banner. As they investigate the home, they learn that Banner and his two wives died mysteriously, yet the spirits are much alive. As they meet Banner's deranged son, they realize they must escape the home or succumb to its madness. We just got a couple little of the creepy extras that don't really have a space. Um, it's books, it's figures, it's t-shirts when I think they're exciting and their launches line up. The first story we have this week is Creepshow's getting a comic and it's headed our way this Halloween season. Skybound Comic is putting out a five-issue anthology series that will hit comic book stores on September 21st. Each issue is going to have a different creative team and it looks great, looks terrifying, the creep looks great on the cover. I think it's super interesting that this is kind of like the final circle of life for Creepshow. Creepshow started out as a movie inspired by 50s and 60s comics and then was a TV show inspired by that and those comics as well. And now it's a comic book inspired by a TV show inspired by those comic books. So it's come full circle. And also in Creepshow news, NECA is giving the creep a new figure. The seven inch tall creep figure has 25 points of articulation and comes with an interchangeable head, a pumpkin, a candle, and of course, a comic book as a prop. And our last little extra this week and our last news story this week is Monster High Skelector Doll is being released on everyone's favorite count. The doll is based off the classic universal monster, Dracula. The Skelector line has had a bunch of heavy hitters, such as Beetlejuice and Lydia from Beetlejuice and Greta Gremlin from Gremlins. She is very cute. I cannot wait to see cosplayers bring her to life. Cosplayers love to bring the Monster High dolls to life, and I am all here for it. Please tag me in your Monster High cosplays. Please tag me in any of your cosplays. I want to see your horror cosplay. I love it. And so that does it for the news this week. And now it's time to get into this week's feature film, Dashcam, a 2022 film directed by Rob Savage, written by Rob Savage, Jed Shepard, and Gemma Hurley, starring Annie Hardley, produced by Jason Blum under the Blumhouse Productions banner. The team that brought us this is the same team that brought us the Lockdown Darling host. The film is entirely shot on iPhone or the dash cam in her car. And this film has been a roller coaster of emotion for me. As you know, I have talked about my love of this team and how I think that they handle the concepts of technology and the intersection of that with horror. So I have been super excited to see this since it was announced. And I, I think I should back up a little bit and talk about how I write reviews for the podcast, because I think that that will color why this review has been so hard for me and why I'm so disappointed. So I try to go into a film as blind as possible 
for someone who has a podcast about horror news. And if you notice the way I correlate horror news, I really do a lot of casting announcements. I do trailer announcements and like talk to you about the trailer. And I do a little bit of commentary after movies have come out a little bit. Like if there's some controversy that comes up after the movie comes out, then I'll usually cover that. But I don't tend to do a lot of coverage on like what people think about it when they see the film or what people say about coming out of out of film festivals. I make note of films that are popular that are coming out of film festivals just to be like, oh, I should check that out. It seemed like it got a lot of buzz at a film festival, but I don't really read festival reviews, read festival interviews, read reviews of any kind until... I'm done. So I will watch a film. I will take notes while I watch the film. And then I will write a summary of what I feel is the important key points I want to put in my review. And after I do all that, sometimes it requires me to watch the film a second time. Most of the time it doesn't. After I do all that, then I will start what I call the research phase of this movie. And so I will look at other people's reviews. I will look at letterbox. I'll look at interviews from film festivals with the creators and the stars, interviews with people. I'll try to see, are there people whose opinions about films I respect? YouTubers, writers, reviewers, bloggers, just people on Twitter, like who have seen this? What are they thinking about it? Just because I don't want to go into a film not being able to see the other side. Like I, I think that it's important when you are critiquing a film to understand that what is for you, what is not for you, and what are technical things that you don't like about the film. And when I say technical, I mean like technical from like a production value of the of the the way the camera moves, the way the focus is, the lighting, the costuming, all of those choices. But when I also mean technical, I also mean the technical aspect of the story. Does this story work? Do these plots work together? Are these characterizations believable? Like all of that. Like I want to see the full range of what people think about it because I really do think it's important that you make sure you know if something is bad or just not for you. And like I want to give you guys my honest opinion always but I think that the best way for me to do it is to make my opinion and then see how that opinion fits in the broader landscape of the conversation around the film. And normally this is not a problem. Normally I do it. It's fine. I will also check people's Twitter and Instagram for upcoming projects or if they're highlighting interviews that they gave during the promotion of the film. I really want to see what they think is the most important parts of this film because I think you learn more about how the film came together and what the story, what the intent of the filmmaker's story is if you are willing to look at what they find important. That's a really in the weeds summation of how I put this show together. So I haven't felt whiplash like this about a movie I don't think ever. I think this is probably the most conflicted I have felt about a movie in a long time. Definitely the most conflictive I have felt about on a movie in the era that I have been reviewing movies on this podcast, even from the like first attempt at doing this a long time ago to this one. Like it is literally the like most conflictive I have felt about a movie 
because there were lots of things about this film I enjoyed. So let's start out with the part, with part of the review I would have given you pre the research phase of my workflow. This film was enjoyable from a found footage aspect. The editing and the talent the team has for understanding how to make modern technology scary is still staggering. And I still think they are unmatched in that aspect. I do think they are starting, I do think a little bit of cracks are starting to show with how reliant they are on blurring and focus and maybe as budgets grow and as they get more comfortable, we will see them break a little bit out of that. But I think that that is something that can be a crutch in found footage and I found was used a little bit too much in the back half of this film. Yeah, my biggest problem with this film was the lack of narrative cohesion. We had two different stories that felt not tied together at all. The main protagonist, I'm sure you're aware by now, is a Trump-supporting, anti-vaxxer, anti-masker, COVID denier. And the first 30 minutes of this film is just you living through the world of her live stream and through her eyes, and it is fucking excruciating. And I feel like it is a strong part of the film. However, the film really fails to justify why this was the choice for the character. There isn't anything really about this film that necessitates it being set during the pandemic. You could have selfish friend flies to Europe and steals friend's car and goes on DoorDash. Like you, none of the things like, yes, DoorDash was more prevalent during the pandemic. And yes, but like none of those things were like required to be there. There's just a very shallow reason other than like, this is a really caustic, exploitative and shock value way to shorthand this woman is selfish and will be an asshole for literally any reason. So I don't love that about it. And then I just don't feel like that really, like once the supernatural presence like comes, it doesn't really feel like there's any reason why, right? Key details are like pushed aside and I don't know, it feels simultaneously too short and too long all at the same time, which is another problem of the film. It has a slight bit of a pacing problem. I feel like if they established her as the MAGA anti-vax protagonist and then that had payoff of any kind, right? Like any kind of payoff for that. And I'm not talking like she's got to get got, she's got to get doing. I'm just saying like any kind of like plot reason of why she had to be this way. I feel like those 30 minutes were justified. Otherwise, I just feel excruciatingly long. And so I walked out of the film thinking, okay, well, the supernatural thing is cool, but they really don't get into it. And like, why her? And like, I had a bunch of questions, but it was still cool. The back half of that film is chock full of beautiful horror gory set pieces that are really trading on the language of Evil Dead. And I feel like, yeah, that's like great. I love all of those things about this. So I walked out of the film thinking it was a good film, not like, not blown away with it like I was with Host, but it's a sophomore effort that happens. You're not gonna love everybody's film. And I was really in the camp of the COVID denying protagonist was so over the top that they had to be using her to take the piss out of these people, right? They just had to be using it to shit on her. Like that had to be it. Like this is them, they're making a comment, like look at this asshole, 
look how stupid she is into trouble. I really wanted to know why there was no pushback either. Um, that was another thing that kind of set wrong with me while the film was going on was there's no pushback to the ideals. There is, and like, if you don't say anything, if you if you make art that has nothing to say, that is A, a choice, and B, it is allowing your work to be co-opted by whoever wants to put whatever spin they want to put on it, which has its benefits. But in this regard, with this subject matter, it has a lot of detriment to your film, to just a lot of things that aren't great about that. And so I was very excited about the actor. So I went and looked at the Twitter page for her because I thought she's great. Only to find out that the woman who plays Annie, Annie Hardly, is a full-blown transphobic MAGA anti-vaxxer in real life whose entire Twitter platform is just a pantheon of racist conspiracies, COVID misinformation, and all kinds of other things. So we're gonna get into a couple of those because I feel like everybody wants to tiptoe and dance around it and use euphemisms for this woman is, there's no difference between her and her public persona. And I get it, I get why no one wants to go hard because everybody loves this team. I love this team. I think they make they made a really great film with host. But I really have to question the creative process that they all went through that made them think that this film done in this way with this actor was a good idea. Because I was buying the film, I was on the film side when I thought this was a spectacular acting performance. So we're gonna go into some of the absolutely insane things that she has said on the internet. Like this isn't like hidden stuff that she has said. She has misgendered people on Twitter, which is just absolutely gross. She's definitely taken some very turfy stances of its biology. What are you talking about? You can't be mad at someone who's being transphobic because of biology or whatever turfs believe. And I think the thing that makes me upset about this is that I think the thing that makes me the most upset about this is that this film suffers from hubris and it suffers from a hubris we don't talk a lot about because I don't think in a wider context, people People think there is that much difference between these two cultures, but this is su film suffers from a hubris of three British folks who seem to have a very cursory puddle depth knowledge of what living in a society with folks as caustic as Trump supporters are. I know you're gonna go, hey, 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 but we've got Tories and they're a pain in the ass and they're just as terrible as Republicans. No, no, they literally are not. The Tories for all of their austerity and bullshit and hating of poor people are not trying to turn England into a theocratic state. They're not using their religion as a weapon. I think the hubris really is shown off with the pretty stereotypical view they take about what makes other Americans angry about Trump supporters. They really boil it down to crude jokes and light bigotry and they really take it from the side of the Trump supporter. Like it really is a Trump supporters worldview about why people don't like them. And they didn't have to do that, right? They literally fell into the trap of what all of these grifters want from us. 
And that is to be centered. They want to be the center of the conversation. They want to be taken seriously. They want their crackpot, terrible, anti-science, anti-woman, anti-trans, anti-people of color narrative to be taken serious, to be centered, and for people like them to be the hero. And the filmmakers did just that. They didn't take a stance in their work. They didn't do anything in the plot or the external characters or any of that to disprove that what they're doing is just giving a bigot a platform to spew her bigotry. And they center Annie in the film at every chance. There's several times they could have dispatched of her or switched the perspective to her bandmate stretch or done anything to not center the absolute narcissistic and harmful worldview that they got with their protagonist. And like I said, I think the film works if it's an actor. I think the film absolutely does not work if it is a woman who wrote a blog post in 2016 saying, I'm not racist. I don't think I'm racist. But hey, we should really all talk about those Syrian refugees and all the rises in rape in Europe. But I'm not racist because I let black people and non-white people into my home. I can't be racist. I'm friends with black people. Like that wasn't a line too far for you. You didn't do, did you not do any research? Because, because Rob Savage really goes out there and is writing out for his casting choice and his choice of actor. And I think the most concise answer we get out of him about this is in an interview with Perry Nemiroff for Collider where he says... I just think there's no harm in spending time with people who don't have the same opinion as you. And I think at some point in the very near future, we're going to hit a wall where there's going to be a certain chunk of the population that aren't getting vaccinated. And we're going to have to live shoulder to shoulder with people who demonstrably don't share our values. Says who, Rob? You don't. You don't have to work with them if you're a director. You are in a position of power. You are in charge of a film set. You can very much say, I don't want people who don't share my values to be a part of my production. That is something well within your reach. It's well within a lot of people's reach. Like, am I going to have to suffer the Trump supporter at work or at the grocery store? Absolutely. But I don't have to suffer them in my personal life. I don't have to suffer them in my private time. And the idea that people should suffer these people with no pushback is just ridiculous. Another thing that just shows how absolutely out of touch they are with the concept of Trump supporters as a threat to your life and your happiness and the quality of life that you get to live it really must be nice for three people from England to sit in the cheap seats where 80% of the population has one dose of the vaccine, 75% of the population has two or more. But when you break that number down in England to people over the age of 12, it's 92 have their first vaccine, 85% have a second, and 66 have a booster. It's something like 90% of English people have some form of coronavirus antibody. I want you to remember what those UK numbers were, right? Now compare that to the United States, where only 67% of the country is fully vaccinated. 
67% of the country is fully vaccinated and only 78% has one dose. To you, it's a light romp and a horrible villain. To Americans who have to live with those people, this is a existential threat, right? Like we cannot get these people to get vaccinated. We cannot get our government to hold up vaccine mandates. We can't get people to force them to do the right thing for other people. And instead of focusing on the selfishness and the the price that these people's views cost on other, these people's horrific views cost on other people, you uncritically just gave her a platform to spew these views. That's what it is. Like, I don't think that was the intent. I think they thought they were making a movie that was subversive and edgy and, but it's not, it's not subversive and edgy. We're living in a pandemic. Like, I don't know how many times people need to keep saying this. The pandemic is not over. We are, in fact, in our seventh spike in the United States right now. The only reason we keep having spikes is because of people like Annie Harley, who will not get their vaccine, who will not do the things they need to do, who will not just wear a mask in a public place. Just the whole concept of there's no harm in spending time with people who don't have the same opinion as you really just feels like a dude who's never had to think about does anything about me that I can't change my gender, my race, my sexuality, any of that. Does that affect me? Does people's quote unquote opinion affect the way I live? Because people absolutely have dangerous opinions. That isn't a thing that exists. Opinions are not all benign. They are not equal. And I don't, I just cannot fathom that people who understand how to make horror movies with technology, as scary as this team can, cannot understand how those same platforms that they have studied to be able to do that with spread misinformation. It doesn't touch on any of the stories. Uh, it, it doesn't touch on any of the questions about social media that people have been having for the last like five or six years. It feels like it is stuck in a pre-2016 time. Like, do you just not think it's interesting that there is a wellness to QAnon pipeline that clearly your lead singer has fallen straight down? There's a Pizzagate joke in this for crying out loud. You do realize that like the people who own Pizzagate had a gunman show up to their uh, place, right? You do realize that your star, Annie Hartley, thinks that gun control is stupid, but we're kids are now the number one death. Guns are now the number one death of, of American children. And you just gave a woman who thinks we should do nothing about it a giant platform in the horror community because everybody thinks she's acting and everybody thinks she's like everyone's like she should be in everything she's such a great actor it's not acting if you ask someone to be themselves even if it's quote unquote a heightened view which I just like it can't be a more heightened view she spews alt-right talking points that is the height of the far right in America and I think it just comes down to the fact that you don't have to deal, you don't have interaction with people other than an influencer who is trying to make you feel like we're not all that bad, right? But she's out there retweeting Jordan Peterson and she's out there retweeting Ben Shapiro. 
She has no problem supporting people. She has no problem having opinions that limit the liberties, the happiness, and the freedom of other people. And she has no problem saying we should do nothing about guns. That's who your main star is. And that's the platform you have allowed to take over your movie. Raven Bruner had a really great review for this film at Game Ranks. I really highly suggest you go read it. And she asked two very important questions at the end of it that I want to also leave for you. At what point do we ignore ethical standard for mindless entertainment? And how good must a movie be for one to detach itself from its harmful nature? Dashcam gets a half a star for me. That's what I gave it on Letterboxd. If this was a film with an actor in it, it'd be a solid three or four. Just for the back end set pieces alone. But the platform and the message and the idea that the director is putting out here that everybody's opinions are equal and we should just deal with people who have dangerous opinions that put our lives at risk is, is just not something that I can support. So I highly recommend recommend you pick any other new release from the month to watch this go watch host again like if you really want to watch a found footage by these guys go watch host again like don't watch this you have to be responsible and i think that that's something i would like to see more horror reviewers and pundits and influencers in the space understand that yes we can make horror movies about anything and i think there's a lot i mean like i think the sadness is a horror movie that is a lot about a lot of the same things as Dashcam, but it does it in a responsible way where Dashcam is just hubris and irresponsibility, the movie. That's going to do it for us this week. I'm your ghost dispenser. You can find me all over the internet at Miss Nintendo 64 I'll be streaming this week on Thursday and Friday. You can check those out on Twitch. You should support the show at A Halloween Club on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter. You can write and review. Give us a star review on iTunes or Spotify. Write us a review. That really helps me get the podcast out to more people who like horror movies and like thoughtful review about them. So, you know what time it is. Sleep or don't. Thank you.